evidence and answers. How many genders are there? Today, many are claiming to be gay, lesbian, bisexual, non-binary, transgender, demisexual, pansexual, and more. How did we get so confused about gender and sexuality? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is a teacher, author, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Recently, Pat held his first ever Zoom apologetics conference entitled, Truth, Finding Clarity in Confusing Times. Guest speakers included Kirby Anderson, Fazal Rana, Randy Manley, and our own Pat Zucran. Now with part one of Truth About Gender and Sexuality is Pastor Randy Manley. All right, folks, Randy Manley. Thank you, Pat. Hey, let me say too how excited I am to be a part of this conference. You know, when Pat asked me probably a year ago, I jumped at the opportunity wanting to be involved. And then when they called a few months ago and said, hey, we're going to have to go to a, a virtual conference. Are you in? And I well, I have no idea what I'm doing, uh, but if you're willing to uh, put me in, I would love to do it. And the conference has been great. Fuzz Rana yesterday, man, what a great presentation he gave from a biochemist standpoint on the evidence that God is right there in the cell. Man, I, I was glued to that. And then Kirby Anderson and, and all about truth in the media. Again, just phenomenal. Great job. And Pat's uh, presentation on truth, how desperately we need to understand uh, truth and and uh, how we can we can know it ourselves so tonight I've been given the very easy task of dealing with gender and sexuality and I'm gonna be able to answer all your questions in 45 minutes and that if you believe that then you probably need to go somewhere else because that is not gonna happen hopefully I'll be able to whet your appetite with a few things give you a few tools to use and so I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to share my screen with you. So truth about gender and sexuality. And perhaps the biggest issue in the social radar over the last uh, several years has been the whole LGBTQ issue. It seems like almost every week there's some story that's making headlines surrounding this issue. And, and the latest came just this past June, just a couple of months ago, when the Supreme Court uh, ruled in favor of plaintiffs in three cases dealing with the application of job discrimination laws towards sexual orientation and gender identity. The Supreme Court ruled that uh, employees can, can sue employers who fire a worker for being gay or transgender. And they said that the, the ruling was based on the fact that it violates uh, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. So effectively what they did is they redefined sex and put it on the same plane as race. And that's pretty much what happened. Pete Buttigieg is uh, the first openly gay presidential candidate in our nation's history. He's married to a man and he boldly proclaims his Christianity. Uh, United Airlines uh, just recently announced that they're going to be the first airline that give their customers non-binary gender options when they book their flights. In other words, you won't have to just choose between male and female. You'll have other options as well. And then in Connecticut, there was two biological boys who identify as girls who entered the state track meet and won. They took first and second. 
And that caused, uh, uh, maybe some of you remember this story, that caused a whole lot of uh, controversy. And it caused the girls who took second and third to take uh, the Connecticut Athletic Association to court because they were denied scholarships to college because these two boys who identified as girls knocked them out of those first two places. And the uh, executive director of the athletic conference there in Connecticut, her name is Carissa Nahoff, she said this, we do feel for them, talking about these girls, we do feel for them, fully agree it doesn't feel good, the optic isn't good, but we really do have to look at the bigger issue that speaks to civil rights and the fact that this is high school sports. So these are just a few things that I'm throwing up at you. What do we do with all this? We, we live in such a confusing world. What do we as Christians, how are we supposed to handle this? Do we just kind of shrug and decide that that just the way it's going to be? Do we somehow defy it and fight back? Do we shut up and shut down? How are we supposed to deal with these things? Well, before we get into that, I want to talk about some confusing words, because really what I found with a lot of these uh, topics that we face today in society is we're being bombarded with different uh, definitions and different words. And if you don't keep up on it, it can be incredibly confusing. So here's a little chart for you that I grabbed off of the internet, added a couple of things to it. Most of us are probably familiar with the, with the one side. Most of us are probably familiar with definitions of gay, lesbian, bisexual. Here's pansexual though, a person who has the potential to be attracted to all or many gender identities and expressions, right? That's, that's a pansexual individual. How about questioning? That's the Q in the LBGTQ. Uh, a, a questioning person is a person who's unsure of their sexual orientation or gender, gender identity. Uh, then uh, transsexual, uh, again, I think that's pretty, pretty commonly known, so we'll kind of skip through that. But how about demisexual? This is a very interesting one. Someone who can only experience sexual attraction after an emotional bond has been formed this bond doesn't have to be romantic in nature. So I'll let you chew on that one for a little bit. How about um, asexual? A person who does not experience sexual attraction. Asexuality differs from celibacy in that it is a sexual orientation, not a choice. So a person who's celibate, they choose to be celibate. An asexual person, is that's their orientation. They just are not sexually attracted. Intersex, we're hearing a lot about that uh, lately. Um, intersex is a general term used of a variety of conditions in which a person is born with a reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't seem to fit the typical definitions of female or male. In other words, there's some biological uh, difference in their makeup. They're not totally female or male, perhaps in their, their um, genetic makeup. There might be some genetic um, things that are off. Uh, it could be physical, where they've got the, the internal makeup of one gender, but their external parts don't fit that gender. So, so that would be intersex. And here's one I threw in there that I thought was very interesting. Autosexual. It's a sexual attraction toward yourself. Now, <laughs> that's amazing, isn't it? And at first, that might be astonishing, but if you stop and think about it, it makes perfect sense 
with where we're at in our society today, uh, with the whole narcissistic self-indulged uh, society that we have, it makes sense that there would be a category of autosexual. I don't know if I'd say encourage you, but you may want to check it out. It's very interesting. Just type it into Google and you'll find some incredible things. Now, I want you to look at this uh, little chart here too. I think this is helpful. Again, this is not coming from a Christian perspective, but I think it just kind of helps us to understand a little bit better the terms that we're looking at. Because sometimes we hear these terms thrown at us and like, what on earth does that mean? I think I know what it means because I think I knew what it meant 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but what's it mean today? Gender identity, when we hear that talked about, it has to do more with the way we think about ourselves, they tell us. I may look a certain way, but I think I am a certain way. I may look like a girl or a woman, but I really think I'm a man or a boy. Sexual orientation is pretty much just that. Who am I sexually attracted to? Am I heterosexual, homosexual, gay, bisexual, queer, asexual? Biological sex is basically the parts that you're born with. Is That's probably the easiest way to understand it. And then gender presentation. How do I outwardly present myself? It's not what's going on with my parts. It's not even what's maybe going on with my thinking or even my, my soul as far as whom I'm attracted to, but how do I present myself? And so that might just give you a little bit of a better idea of what some of these terms mean. But the bottom line is, I think the best word to describe it all is confusing. It can be incredibly confusing. And I really believe that that's the enemy's ploy to keep us from jumping into the arena of dealing with these issues. If we're confused by the terms, if we're overwhelmed by the terms, many times the chances are that we'll turn our back and run and not wanna tackle these things. And that's exactly the opposite of what we need to do. So. How do we deal with this? How do we cut through the confusion? Well, I want to submit to you that the, the first thing that we need to do as believers in Jesus Christ is we need to go back to the foundation. And the foundation is all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this happens to be the very first verse of the Bible and so we say it is the most significant verse of the Bible because it's where everything starts. But I want to go a step further and tell you that it's the most significant sentence in the universe. Because if this is true, it changes everything. Now, our talk tonight is not about um, the existence of God. Pat did a great job the first night when he talked about why, why he became a Christian or why he is a Christian. He talked about some of those evidences for God. And yesterday, Fuzz did a great job kind of backing that up from a biochemist standpoint. So we're not going to go into all that, but simply to say that this is our foundational point. If God created the heavens and the earth, that changes everything. It's the most significant statement in the universe, because that means that God is creator, designer, and purpose giver. Creator, that means he brought it into existence. Designer, a designer puts things together in a certain way, and here goes the end, as a purpose, to give it purpose. And so if God is creator of everything, he is creator, designer, and purpose giver. When, when uh, my sons were little, 
we used to love to play with Legos together. We had several large bins of, of Legos. And, you know, they at one time had come as different packages and designs, but they all got dumped into these big bins. And so we'd pull these bins out and we'd stick them out on the floor. And then we'd sit there and we'd just put some, some things together. We'd just start pulling pieces of Lego out of the box and we would design uh, flying machines and we would design boats and we would design all kinds of um, creative, fun things. And when we got done, maybe 45 minutes later, we would sit there and we would talk about, well, well what is that? And then we would explain what we had built and we would explain all the different parts well, what is that thing there well that's a that's a laser gun that can shoot off into space oh wow that's cool and what is this thing over here and the person who made it knew what was in their mind when they created it and so they could explain all the different parts and the reason those parts were there god as creator designer purpose giver he knows why he made things the way he did why he put us together the way he did, and how we best run in life. As the creator, designer, and purpose giver, no matter what the subject is, we have to ask, what has God said? What is it that God wants for this particular issue or this particular situation? Well, we need to understand from the biblical standpoint, because that's where God gives us uh, why he did what he did and what he's done. And we learn as we go into scripture that God has a good plan for sex. God made sex and he has a good plan for it. And again, we go back to the beginning, Genesis 2.18. And God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. God created everything and and all the animals and the plant life and then he creates man adam and the bible tells us in genesis 2 7 that he does that by taking the dust of the ground and he fashions forms sculpts adam and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and then he steps back and he says you know what it's not good that the man should be alone Every other animal that I've created has a corresponding mate except Adam, and this isn't good. And so we read in Genesis 2.18 that God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. When the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Man, this is such a beautiful, poetic passage, and there's so much significance in this. But, but first, let me point out, Like I said, in Genesis 2-7, when God creates man, it says he takes from the dust of the ground, he, he takes the dirt of the ground, fashions and forms Adam, and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And I remember years ago when I was reading this passage, thinking to myself, well, why didn't God just make Eve that way? Why didn't God just just do the same thing that he did when he created Adam, when he wanted to create Eve, woman? Why didn't he just bend down and make this form out of the dust of the ground and breathe into her nostrils the breath of life? Why did God put Adam to sleep, 
take out of his side a rib and then fashion Eve that way. I mean, he could have made her just how, how he made Adam, but he chose to do something different. And it's, and it's right there in that passage when Adam says, wow, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. There is a beautiful picture there. Man and woman are intimately connected in this picture. There's, there's a beauty in this, that there's a connection that the woman has come out of the man. And so what that points to is that we've got masculinity and femininity that are totally distinct and different, and yet they are connected. It's a demonstration of the reality that our sexuality and our sexual desire is rooted in this intimacy, all the way back to this creation act. So sexuality or, or sex itself and that desire for sex, it's a desire for completeness, for wholeness. It's not just a physical act. In fact, it's a very spiritual act. I'll go a step further. It's a holy act. And we see this all the way back here in this creation story. The first uniting, the first marriage was between a man and a woman. Now, you say, well, that's Old Testament. Did Jesus say anything about it? Well, yeah, actually, Jesus endorsed this plan. Look at this passage in Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came and they tried to trap him, Jesus, with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read in the scriptures, Jesus replied? They recorded that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. For the sake of what we're talking about here, Jesus endorses everything that took place in the book of Genesis. He endorsed this idea that it's a man and a woman that come together in marriage. He never injects any kind of alternate idea or plan. He endorses the plan right from creation. So what do we conclude? And, and we could look at more scriptures, uh, but for the sake of time, we can't. And I would encourage you to, to move through this more. But what we come to the conclusion of is that any deviation from God's plan for sex is sin because it's not God's plan. So it is missing his mark, his desire for us. So any deviation from that plan is sin. So what do, where do we go from there? Well, any sex outside of heterosexual marriage is sin. You say, well, where do we get that, Rand? Where, where do we find that? Well, if we go to the book of Leviticus in chapter 18 and 20, we get a list of the different types of sins, that, uh, uh, sexual sins that were prohibited in sex homosexuality, adultery, cultic prostitution, premarital sex, bestiality. I mean, it pretty much covers the whole gamut. And what Moses was told to tell the people is these are off limits. You may have a desire to try these things, but these are not supposed to be done among you. 
These things are, are uh, forbidden. They're not a part of God's plan for humans, is what he was saying. Well, we go to the New Testament, and we see 1 Corinthians 6, 18. And it says here, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So we see there's, there's something really deep in sexual sin that the scripture says is actually a sin against, against your own body. And then Ephesians 5, uh, 3 says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. The, the words translated sexual sin and sexual immorality in those passages is the Greek word porneia, and that's sexual sin of all kinds. So if we go back and we review that list in, in Leviticus, we've got incest, homosexuality, uh, sexuality, adultery, cultic prostitution, premarital sex, bestiality. Those are all these sexual sins that New Testament says, man, run from these things. Don't be involved with these things. Don't let it even be named among you. These are not things that uh, you should be involved in. They're not God's plan. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practicing homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I want to zero in on those words, those who do wrong at the beginning of the verse. That uh, is better understood as unrighteous. What that means is simply they're not right. And the question is, well, not right with what or who? They're not right with the standard of right, who is God. And you heard Pat talk yesterday when he was talking about truth, the idea that there's this moral code. There's this idea embedded in uh, humanity that there is a law outside of themselves. And when we don't measure up to that idea, even the simplest part that we know deep in us, we are not right. We are unrighteous. In Romans chapter 12, verse 26, it says, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Look at the words shameful desire, shameful things with other men. This is just, again, underscoring this downward progression of people as we go downward, as we go away from God and God's plan. These types of activities are the result. These are the things that show up because we're going against the creator, designer, plan giver, purpose giver. So the Bible's pretty clear. Any kind of sex outside of heterosexual marriage is a sin. That, that pretty much covers, again, all of that list. Now, I want to take a few minutes, and I want to identify what some of the real issues, I think, with the, the sexual identity and gender uh, issues that we face today. And first of all, it's, it's a view of sex issue. 
What do I mean by that? Well, scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do is to be done to the glory of God. Again, going back to that Genesis passage, sex is not just an act. It is a holy thing. It is a spiritual thing. It is something that reflects God's glory. You know, when you walk outside at night and you see a sky full of incredible stars, it should cause you to go, man, God, you're amazing. When you go to the beach and you watch the surf pounding uh, the sand and you see the power and you, wow, God, you're something else. When you see the beauty of a sunset, it should cause your heart and your mind to go in that direction. Like Fuzz said yesterday, when he looked at those cells and the membrane and saw those mechanisms in the cell, it, it caused him to go, man, there's gotta be a God and we glorify God through those types of things. run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, Head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Oh,